0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. With the word open before us, let us go to the Lord and ask for his help. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you have given us your word. That in your word you not only show us the way in which we should walk, but also you rebuke. You rebuke those who wander from your commandments, that you teach us when we stray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be able to see the glorious truths in your Bible, that we might, as we wander off your path, seek to be able to glorify you. Lord, that those who set themselves against you, let us meditate on your word and your truths found in your scripture. Lord, help us to delight in the glorious truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would place all our trust and our hope in him, not of ourselves. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jude 1 to verse 10. It is God's holy and errant infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Jude who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you that although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not also rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Have you ever heard the statement, follow your dreams? What are your dreams? How do you follow them? Follow your heart. Where does your heart lead you? This is, I think, Probably one of the mantras of the day. Do whatever you want to, whatever makes you happy. Now this is all subjective, all based upon an individual's dreams, an individual's desires. How strange it is to think about leading and, and following what seems to make yourself feel happy. You place yourself in the pilot's seat. You you follow yourself and your desires, and often you do not know what is to come. But Jude, here in this section, this opening section of his epistle, shows the ways that the false teachers have crept in into the church, and he is, is put right at the front, he has explained their two errors. In verse 4, he says that they're perverting the grace of God and turning it into sensuality. And then the second charge that he brings against them is they're denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw, uh, you might say, his opening statements. How they've rejected God's created order. They've rebelled against God's authority. They've rejected and refused God's salvation. And Jude showed these examples of not just what they did, but more importantly, the outcome, where it led to. What happened to the people of unbelief? What happened to the angels? What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities? Now he turns specifically to the false teachers. He used the example last week of those three things. But he turns specifically to the example of the false teachers during the church in this day. Now before we get into this passage, I need to have a gentle reminder and a gentle warning. That is, during this section we see that they use the term often, Jude uses this term, speaking of them, these people, they, And as we read this passage, we should be very cautious to read this passage and think that this passage is spoken to those outside of the church. Because Jude's point is actually that it's happening within the church. He's not writing this letter and saying, those worldly people out there, this is what they are doing. He's writing this letter and saying, these people who have crept into this church And they are unnoticed. His warning is not that they might creep into this church. They have crept into the church. But even to take this a step further, his warning is not necessarily just for these people. His warning is that these people have crept in unnoticed, that you might be doing these things as well. The church is a body of believers. And for this to come in to the visible church, you must understand that people are believing these things, that people are sinning in this way. And to read this passage always thinking it's all those people out there or these people on the end of the pew or the other side of the pew or across wherever it is. But never to think about yourself. You ask yourself those hard-hitting questions. Is this what I believe? Is this what I am doing? It's very easy to sit in your ivory tower and to point and criticize, and to point to how everyone else has it wrong. It is very hard to be able to turn the Scripture on yourself and say, shine a light on my sin. Shine a light on my, where I am not doing what your Word has told me. Now, it does not mean we do not keep our eyes open able to see what the world is doing we might be able to be aware of what might be creeping in into the church in years or months to come does not mean we should not be seeing other people in the church and if they take these errors i think we need those three watching we need to watch the world we need to watch the fuse we need to watch our hearts what does he Say about these people it begins by explaining in verse eight. They are dreamers. Yet in like manner, these people also rely on their dreams. Jude now is connecting what had happened in the past in the Old Testament with the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness in unbelief. The, the sons of God coming down, the angels. In Genesis 6, and finally in Genesis chapters 18 and 19, with Sodom and Gomorrah, that punishment. He says, like those people, here are these people. The Jews gives us this foundation of what this false teaching and where it comes from. Thomas Schreiner, I think, who has the best commentary on the book of Jude, he says that this partial Dreamers is fitting as long as it's a part of, parsable understood to modify all these verbs. That this is the foundation that is from these dreams all these other things stem from. That here is the center where they get to their moral basenessness, and their opponents. All of them come from these dreams. and They modify all the verbs. And although we might be quick to read over this portion, we need to understand where the the shift has gone wrong. We can easily look at where the sin is, but how did they get to justifying their sin is a very important part. What is the foundation of these errors that these false teachers have? Now, Jude is not denying the Old Testament. He's used it. He will use it again, time after time. In the Old Testament, God spoke through dreams; did so with Jacob. But Jude is emphasizing that they relied on their dreams, that their dreams became the top. The center, everything else, was secondary. Now, as you read through the Bible, you see that God communicated to his people in very different ways. Theophany is appearing to them. Visions, dreams, angels, prophets. But If we focus on what the theme is throughout all of this, it's not how God speaks to his people. It is what he speaks to his people that is the main important thing. That is why that we have God's word. We don't have God's pictures. We don't have God's visions. We have God's word. This is how he communicates through words. He has communicated to us through his revealed word. And Jude points out that the focus is not on God's word, but the false prophets and the false teachers Their focus is on their dreams. But also if you notice that there's this progression that often happens. And that is that in the beginning God used theophanies and visions a lot. But then he shifts and he speaks more through prophets. Through people. Now the Prophets have visions and dreams, but often it is through their word communicating to God's people through his word. You see this in the New Testament as well. Even you go through the book of Acts. As you read through the book of Acts, it turns shifts from miracles, signs, and wonders, and that decreases as God's word increases. What you have is that as God's word becomes complete, Now we have no need for dreams or visions because God's Word says it all. We call this the sufficiency of Scripture. God has said everything that he needs to say to his people through his Word. These people in Jude's time are neglecting God's Word, elevating their dreams. Now, I don't have time to be able to dive into this, but I think a great book, if you're interested in this, is O. Palmer Robertson's book, The Final Word. I think he quite clearly, succinctly spells out why we believe the sufficiency of Scripture. But Jude's point is on the basis of the teaching as their dream, not the Word of God. Now we can see a warning for today. How often do we base our teachings on logic, on reasoning, on feelings, on culture? You could replace anything. What you find that foundation from, and then you shift it away from the word of God. It was this way when, in the early of the 20th century, when re- liberalism was rising in America. Their foundation was not emotions, although that was a big part of their argument. Their basic was their own logic and reasoning. How could God be a God who does these signs and wonders? That does not make sense to us. Their false teaching crept in because they elevated their logic and their reasoning, not trusting in God's Word. They tried to shape God's Word to fit their mold. Let's face it, if we're honest with ourselves, even if we're good theologians, we understand that sin has stained every single part of us. Sin isn't just something that we do. Sin is something that has affected our being. We can have a good thought or feeling that is actually rooted in evil. That sin has affected our minds and our hearts. And if we read the Word of God and we're never made uncomfortable, we're never convicted of our sin, then often... What we're doing is we're reading the Word of God incorrectly. We're letting our feelings shape and dictate how we are reading it. The Scripture should be like a sword that pierces the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. The Spirit should help us to be able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And again, if we read the Word of God and think that we only... That it only speaks of sins of those outside the church or sins of other people and not our own sins. How often do we listen to what we want to hear? Do we ever find ourselves justifying our actions because of our sinful reasoning and our sinful logic? How many times do we follow our heart compared to the Word of God? Again, we need to be cautious that this does not creep into our own hearts unnoticed. But also that this has not crept into the church. Again, this is a great warning to all of us individually. But also, I think, as denominations, as Christians, when you see and listen to heartfelt speeches that do not quote the Word of God, I'm always praying that as we meet as a session, as a presbytery, the main thing that we have before us is the Word of God. Not a book of church order, not our feelings and emotions, but the Word of God that would help lead and guide and direct all of us. But I think, sadly, many arguments when we look at denominations In the past, their arguments shift from the Word being their sole foundation to protecting the church, whether it's the building, the people, the community, the institution or denomination, rather than being faithful and trusting God's Word. The arguments center around numbers. Either numbers growing, therefore it's a good thing, or numbers declining, therefore it's a bad thing, and we need to change it. They don't turn to the Word of God and see how the Word of God directs them and how to his church should be. But as Paul instructs this in the book of Romans, that we're not to be conformed by this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And how do we do that? By testing. That we might be able to discern the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we do that? We turn to God's will that has been revealed to us in His Word. Now maybe even to take it a step further. And more application than just warning not to follow your sinful logic and heart. Do we know our Bible well? The Bible does not teach us just not what to do, but it also teaches us how we are to live. When we say that we're to test things according to God's revealed will, how much do we know God's revealed will? It's very easy for us to use portions of the Bible to justify ourselves in our actions. Challenge is to find and to use the whole counsel of God to be able to lead and guide us in our lives. We should be like the Bereans, testing what we hear daily. They didn't measure the message against their feelings or emotions, their logic or their reasoning. They searched the whole Scriptures. We need to be careful. Because what happens? They're following their dreams. And Jude says right at the start, when you, what is, what's the charge he's making? They're denying, they're perverting the grace of God into sensuality. They're denying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we follow ourselves and we don't understand the Bible as it is written to us, revealed to us, and we shift it, what we actually lose is the gospel itself we lose the hope of salvation because the grace of God is is changed into something else that is not grace. But what specifically does Jude then say about these dreams? Firstly, they defile the flesh. Jude highlights these false teachers. Their dreams lead people astray. They defile the flesh. Jude doesn't give us a long list of particular sins. As he does later in the letter. But Peter gives us a larger warning of what Jude is speaking about. He says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. This word is used throughout all the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it generally speaks of sexual sins, such as Genesis 34. The false teachers are using their dreams to allow the perversion of God's grace into sexuality now we're not surprised by this throughout the letters of the new testament we see two main categories of thinking that are often rebuked licentiousness which says we don't need god's law so in the, in, in fact they're taken away from god's law because they say we don't need it the other is legalism adding to god's law and they defile the flesh. Now this is something that we constantly need to be aware of and alert of in the church. We can take something good, like the false teachers are, the grace of God, and we can pervert it into something completely sinful, wrong, erroneous. Often this is what is misunderstood. Paul makes this very clear. That Paul, in his logic, in in the book of Romans, he gets through, and and if you're not asking the same questions that Paul is asking, you haven't understood Paul. And Paul asks in in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What this might do in our churches today is that sin is minimalized. We downplay what sin is. Sin is something to be swept under the rug. In some way, then, when we pervert the grace of God, we deny the grace of God. We deny the need of the grace. If we don't call sin sin, then you don't need to be saved for anything. Now this is often what we think of when we think of a righteous person. A Righteous person says that they live a life where they do not sin. But if you de- change the definition of sin, then anybody can be a righteous person. If sin is something that you do, and you change the definition of sin, then sin, then anyone can be sinless. So it's not that they're living a righteous life as. Some might define it, but they're perverting what sin is Therefore, everybody's life. who needs Jesus, who needs grace. Second thing they do is reject authority. They use their dreams to be able to validate and reject authority. Now, we might think of this as rejecting the authorities and church and leaders, maybe national governments. Now, there's other verses that speak about these type of things. But Jude specifically in this case is is saying that they're rejecting the Lord's authority. What's their second um, accusation, his charge that he's bringing up? That they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That it's God's authority that they're rejecting. Notice the hierarchy of the false teachers. They're higher than God, their dreams are higher than God's word. And a disciple cannot serve two masters. Jesus told his disciples that when they go and make disciples, they're to teach them all that I have commanded them we don't get to pick and choose what we get to teach people as we make disciples we're to teach them all of god's word again we don't get to pick and choose what sin is we don't get to select which commands we obey and which ones we do not Jude is actually a perfect example of this because in the opening verse, what does he call himself? He calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. He's not just telling them that you deny and reject Jesus as your Lord and Master, but he's saying this is how you are to live. I am a slave of Jesus. We often use this terminology that we're free from sin. We don't need to do anything. We're free. But Jude turns it around and says that I'm free to be a slave to Christ. I'm a slave of two things. I'm a, either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to Christ. That's Paul's point in Romans 6. We'll see this in Sunday school. Are you going to be a slave to righteousness? Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. We are never free. Everyone in the world is either a slave to sin and Satan, or else a slave to Jesus Christ. The false foundation of Jude's the teachers in, in, in the Jude is addressing is they're following their dreams, they're following their sins, and they're not following Jesus. The last thing that he explains that they do is they blaspheme the glorious ones. The false teachers use their dreams to be able to blaspheme the glorious ones. Now this is a very difficult verse. And if left in isolation, I think you're left with endless possibilities. However, we're not just given this statement just by itself. We find it in a book called book of jude which is contained in god's holy word we might understand this as the example then that jude goes into with the story of michael we could spend a lot more time on angelology let me summarize jude's statement michael is the only named angel we have in the bible he's known as the prince of angels and the one He leads the army of God in the book of Revelation. Michael does not seek to use God's name in vain. As he's disputing with Satan about the body of Jesus. But he leaves the judgment of Satan to the Lord. Now we understand the basic premise. We can dive a little bit more into the specific illustration that Jude uses. Jude explains that Michael contended with the devil about the body of Moses. And we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 6, that the Lord buried the body of Moses. Now how the Lord got the body of Moses, we're not told. Jude tells us how he did. And Jude is actually quoting a book uh, which is known as The Assumption of Moses, which was written about 1st century B.C., And in this source, the Assumption of Moses, the author claims that Satan laid claim to the body of Moses for two reasons. He said that he was the prince of the world. The second thing was that he was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. So therefore, Satan had claim to Moses' body. And in this, Michael, the archangel, quotes the Lord. It's a verse found in Zechariah. This verse will come up again. Zechariah chapter 3. And it says, The Lord rebuke you, for it was the God's Spirit that created the world and all mankind. Now, a great deal of debate has gone into why this is included in Jude's passage. We'll explain this. It comes up again. But just simply, that just because Jude quotes this portion of the Assumption of Moses does not mean. The whole book of the Assumption of Moses is therefore to be included in the Bible. That this portion is in the Bible, so this portion is God's Word breathed out, does not then make all that story or that book then canonical. But the point that Jude is making that even Michael, as he's contending with Moses, Michael does not overstep his bounds of authority. If anyone was truly guilty and anyone was able to point, you are guilty, you have no claim, it would be Satan and it would be Michael who would be able to make that statement. But even Michael does not make that bold assertion. He says, it is the Lord's job to judge, not mine. He did not overstep his bounds. He did not blaspheme against God, assuming God was not going to judge him accordingly. The Michael was sent by God for one thing, to get Moses' body and to bury him. He was not sent to judge Satan. The false teachers, on the other hand, overstepped their position of authority. Peter puts it like this in Second Peter chapter 2. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, the greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, which also be destroyed in their destruction. Again, you could spend numerous hours on these verses. Let us think about what this then means to us. Now, to my knowledge, no one is walking around blaspheming glorious ones. However, what we can do is we seek to stand in the place of God. When we seek to be able to pronounce judgments on other people, we seek to be able to assume that God is not doing his job, that he is not the righteous judge, and we seek to be able to take his place. And this is, again, the removal of the word as the foundation and replacing it with dreams, feelings, or f- visions. Then we turn into the ones that which are not honoring God's name. Because he is the perfect judge. He is going to come to judge the living and the dead. We in turn are claiming, we do not need that judge. We need our own judgment. And I will pronounce it. So what are we to do? In all of this, we see a lot of the errors, the, the misled ways The simple message of Jude is that you need Jesus as your Lord and your Master. You need the grace of God as it is revealed to us in the Scripture. If you sway and shift and change the grace in Christ, you do not have the good news of the Gospel. You do not need to alter or add to or to remove what that is which is perfect. Christ has already given us His Word. He's already given us salvation. Why then would we turn to our own dreams and desires? Jude makes this point in verse 16. Christ has already saved us. Saved us from our sin. So why would we seek to defile the flesh? When we have been raised with Christ, why would we seek to be able to live in this sin and sorrow and be a slave to sin? When we're baptized with Christ, we're laid in the ground with Christ, as, and as we rose up, we're now walking in that newness of life. The Christ is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Why then would we reject His authority over us? And then finally, we do not need to start judging others and pronouncing false judgments upon them. When God is going to do that, the Lord rebuke you. That in this, we give all glory and honor to God. We should be cautious to be able to try and pervert this gospel Is what you end up with. No gospel at all. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise. That we find in your word the perfect gospel given to us through Jesus Christ. That we are no longer slaves to sin. Lord, that we have been bought with a price and belong not to ourselves, but belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to live in a way according to this truth. Help us to see these errors that creep into the church, but more often than not, creep into our hearts. Protect us from these false teaching and these ways of the world. Plant us in your word, that we might be trees planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. For His glory and His gospel.